All right, we got you, Gary. All right. Thanks, man. Um, welcome to episode 155, Convos in the Pedicab. Um, this this might actually be one of the most important, if not the most important episode that we've done this year. Um, I'm with uh, my friend Jeremy Silstein. He's actually running um, for the Democratic primary for the district attorney in Travis County. That's right. Um, early voting has started yesterday. Started yesterday. Normally, we actually release these episodes um, on locals for subscribers, but for this, because of, of you know the urgency of, of this issue and because of how important this is to um, people who live in Austin, we're gonna re- we're gonna just release this right once it gets uploaded. Nice, um, Jeremy. Thank you for coming on. You got it. Um, why did you decide to primary Jose Garza? Well. Uh I worked in the office for 15 years. I was there from 2006 to 2021. And uh, during that time, came to really appreciate what the mission was, which was caring for the safety of the community. And uh, it's a real dedication to public service. And it's uh, not exactly lucrative to work as a public servant for that long, but I enjoyed it enough that it was easy to stick around. So 2021 came around. um, I left, uh, saw the things that were happening in the meantime, a lot of the balls that were getting dropped in basic criminal justice functions not happening and when nobody else stood up and said well could let's you... do it then i said i'm the guy okay um can you tell me what those specific things were yeah you know um when i'm looking at at it from the outside it's a lot of response to domestic violence sexual assaults uh but even even the response to drug and property crime has been lackluster and I, it just leaves a lot to be desired because at the end of that on the other side of those cases are citizens who care about being safe and secure and they're not that's exactly what they're not feeling right now Okay. Um, I think a lot of people in Austin feel this way. Mm-hmm. I think that um, you have a large kind of activist, um, developer-friendly, um, neoliberal coalition of pretend progressives that kind of manipulate the statistics and tell you that crime is actually lower and that Austin is one of the safer communities and that um, you know you're getting all your money from right wing mm-hmm. from right wing donors, and that you're secretly a Republican, and and uh, that you're you know I think Garza called you a MAGA candidate. I think he's referring to the other guy, but he's fundraising on that for sure. Yeah, there's a Republican in the race as well. There, there is, but um, we're in Travis County, and we have a better chance of getting struck by lightning <laughs> on this episode than this guy probably does of winning. That's true, hundred um, percent. And he's also kind of like, and also the Travis County GOP is not exactly. No, they're not exciting. No, they, they, they're, I hate to say the word a joke, but they kind of are a joke. Well, that's a 70-30 race, right? So whoever wins this primary will be the DA. That's, yes. That's a guarantee. Especially considering the fact that we have a, GO, we have a, a GOP that is awful at um, drumming up excitement or interest or turnout. Yeah, and as to the other stuff that you're talking about, I mean, they're, what I would say to that, because it's, it's an easy attack, right? Jeremy, you have people who have given to Republicans. They're giving to you as well. What, why should we trust you? There's not, nobody in sheep's clothing here. What I am is a lifelong Democrat. I've always voted that way. Um, my first experience voting was Bush v. Gore in 2000 when I was a young man. Um, and that has kind of carried me through. And I think it all is birthed from my experience growing up as a Native American in East Texas, having a foot in that world and understanding what government's responsibility is to people who are being oppressed. Yeah. And look, my first vote was for John Kerry in 2004 for Democrat. And I voted for Obama in 08. I think ever since then, I've never really, you know, I voted in Democrat primaries, but I've never voted for a Democrat to be president. Yeah. You know what the thing is, though? It's easy for someone to come in and say, uh, because you have these people, we're not going to consider you. But the real issue, uh, if, if I'm being honest about it, is that public safety, 
crime, it, our response to that should be a nonpartisan issue. I actually agree with you. I don't think that the DA's office should be partisan. I wish and, it weren't. <clears throat> no. And, and listen, man, like, there are concerns about right-wing extremism that are valid. Right. Right? Like, um, you know, you're not going to win a DA's office jailing people for trying to get abortions. Right. Right? You're not going to win a race in Austin um, saying that we should criminalize smoking weed or right. arrest people for microdosing on psilocybin mushrooms, right. which has proven to actually be... Um, Having numerous amount of health benefits, right? Um, like, like that doesn't win an election, mm -hmm. and those aren't even good ideas, and that doesn't even help make the community safer. Yep. Um, but at the same time, like, you can't conflate, um, you know, not arresting people for smoking weed or not prosecuting for people for smoking weed, um, or decriminalizing that with like letting an armed robber off on probation or letting an, an actual rapist or a woman beater. Um, off with a suspended sentence, which Garza has done multiple times. Multiple times, and it's kind of a regular occurrence these days. As a defense attorney, why would I walk... I mean, that's a good thing for my clients, right? If I'm trying to get the best result for them. But having an investment here in the community, I see that happen, and it just it, it makes no sense to me at all. What, what also doesn't make sense, though, Jeremy, is how you're the only challenger. Yeah, I, I can't explain it. What I heard uh, when I left the office and during the two years that I was out and kind of doing my own thing... Uh, was plenty of other names, like real people in politics who were rumored to be stepping up. And I waited, just like everybody else did, to see if that was going to happen, and it didn't. So when my chance came around and the filing deadline approached, I had people who, who said, we're willing to back you if you will do this. So Okay, but why did nobody else step up, right? Because generally speaking, like, Bad things happen. Like when good people do nothing, that's when evil flourishes. Yeah. Right? We're not like comparing guards. That, we're, not, we're not going to those types of extremes. Right. But when you have a district attorney like Garza that can't differentiate between smoking weed and armed robbery, mm -hmm. um, you're you lead you create the foundation for actual authoritarianism to start flourishing in your city. And, and we have a, a very conservative state that kind of serves as a backstop for it. So I think a lot of people in Austin aren't really fully understanding mm -hmm. um, the effects of this. And a lot of people who here are moving here from um, San Francisco and LA. And there's a lot of people like that. And they have different viewpoints politically than somebody moving from California did in 2018 or 2019 because of, uh, of, of what went down. But at the same time, a lot of people here are also lulled into a false sense of comfort because, hey, we're in Texas. We escaped already. We're good. Yeah. And they don't understand that um, what happened in San Francisco, it is right around the corner um, considering h how our, our local government operates and the general apathy of regular people here. I think we make assumptions about what those people are bringing to Austin specifically because we think that that's a certain mindset and it's going to come in and have a, this very specific defined view. But it's not. I, I have a lot of those people in my camp who are saying, we don't want that here. We want you to be a sensible, common sense and smart district attorney who's actually going to prosecute violent crime and do something about it rather than say, well, our hands are off because we over-incarcerate. That's the response that I'm getting from that contingent of people. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if over-incarceration is a problem, like... Okay, well, don't arrest people for smoking weed. Right. You know, don't arrest people for speeding tickets. Right. Uh, you know, it, like, low-level drug, like, unless you have large amounts of cocaine or methamphetamine or fentanyl, you know, no jail. You should kind of, like, be let go or, or get treatment services. Like, Absolutely. I think that's that's a fair and reasonable approach. And I think that a lot of these people who, think that, who, who see you as a challenger to Garza might not be aware that you share those viewpoints. Yeah, well, and it's, it's, it's what... The Travis County citizens want. That's what I know. 15 years of prosecuting cases of all stripes. I know that the appetite for those kinds of cases for heavy sentences, it's not there. So we pay attention to what the community wants. And that's what defines how the system works. 
Yeah. So if you're paying attention to that, that's not a that's not a secret to anybody. Okay. No, I fully agree. Um, and also, you you have um, you have people like Dan Patrick. We talked about this earlier before we started. You have Dan Patrick suing Travis County because they wanted to criminalize weed use, mm-hmm. right? And if we didn't have a DA, I mean, I'm not saying it's fully fully causal or fully correlated, but I think it does play a role. When you have a DA like Jose Garza that is not prosecuting armed robbery, that will not that that's not going to like make a concerted effort to like. Um, jail a burglar for long periods of time you know um when you have um police response time to theft i had a motorcycle stolen from me a couple of years like three years ago before I, I moved out of austin like only three there were only three officers that were able to handle auto thefts in 2021 yeah. like when you have these situations you will create um through nature a, a very severe um right-wing backlash yeah absolutely so what you're i think what you're saying is when you take positions like that and you dig in the way that Garza has done, you draw attention to a county that otherwise might be left alone for little things like that, for decriminalizing marijuana and not punishing low-level drug offenses. Absolutely. I think that, that you create a bullseye for the Republican to, uh, majority to come in and say, now we're going to really focus on Austin. Exactly. And that makes the pro- and, and that makes a lot of these problems exponentially worse. They're self-inflicted wounds, for sure. Self, self-inflicted wounds. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that I think that's got to be the message that most voters need to understand. I think that our GOP does an awful job of communicating, um, communicating the message from this lens, and it does almost make. I mean, we're not talking about this, right? So this is just my views. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like with the way they address public safety and address these issues, it's almost like they want to lose. Yeah, I I mean I don't know why it hasn't been a better, smarter response because I mean they they're a political machine too. So you would think that they would learn what works and what doesn't work in Travis County. That's just not the case. But that that tells me that where I'm coming from, it, there's room there, there's right? Room. And what I've been told through this campaign is that I can't be a good Democrat and believe in the moderate positions that I believe in um, and that there's only room on the extreme side of that party. Uh, I, I think that that's false. I think that what people are telling me and the reason I have support and momentum right now is that there is a groundswell of support of people who live in the middle, whether they're independent, moderate uh, Democrats or moderate Republicans who say this should not be a partisan issue. We want to be safe. We want our community to be safe and we want our district attorney to just enforce the law. Yeah, exactly. And and we also got to understand that these policies that that um, the fact like conflating, you know, smoking weed with armed robbery and, and um you know, domestic violence and rape and all this other stuff, right? Conflating those two, um, well, A, it's the same, it's just the inverse, it's the, it's an inverse correlation of giving, um, you know, giving someone a 10-year sentence for possession. Yeah. When an armed robber gets that, right? Or right. a pedophile is getting five years, you know, right? Like, yeah. like, like it's, it's just, it's the same, but inverted. And, and both of these things are very, very, very bad. Yeah. Right? Um... You know, so so with that being said, it also really does hurt a lot of the working class population, right? Like like so, if you're a bartender, mm-hmm. right, and you have a bunch of money that's like in cash, and you go to work, and you know rents and all. Do you know how much rent has increased in Austin? I don't over the past few years. No, I know that in 2018 it increased by like over 35 percent over like a four year period from like 2014 to 2018. Right now it's probably. I, I I would I would assume that rent is I don't know the stats offhand, but I wouldn't be surprised if rent has doubled since 2018. I think there's been a slight drop recently, but only recently, and that that's been an ongoing issue since the time you're talking. about. And it might only be a drop because they're building more like affordable housing complexes, which are not really affordable. It's oh yeah, you get to live in East Austin and pay a thousand dollars a month for your room. That's not a, like 
th- that could um, explain explain the drop, right? Right. But then there's other um, issues regarding that that we might not have time to, to delve into. But no, no. Um, you know, when you have stuff like this happen, right? And you're like a bartender or, or like a cab driver, or you're something, right? And you have cash in your house, so you haven't had a chance to deposit or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know. And you go to work, and somebody just breaks into your house and steals everything that you have. Like, well, cool. These policies just through a regular hardworking person that might be like a musician, an artist, somebody that can contribute to the culture of society, they might force these people out of Austin and, and actually destroy the culture that Austin was built upon. Yeah, and we've already seen some erosion of that, right? Like Austin is not the Austin it was 10 years ago. It's, no. it's changed. And that's that's not necessarily for the better, but we have to adapt because it's not going to stop. This is what, we, what we're seeing around here in East Austin in particular is a product of city council policy to do what it's doing. Yeah. But when it comes to addressing those kinds of crimes, we can't just have a, well, all's well that ends well response. And that has been, I think, the accepted version of criminal justice over the past three years specifically. Yes, yes. And, and I also think that this is very good. This is a developer's wet dream. Yeah, I mean, on, on the one hand, yes. But on the other hand, it's driving away the business that brings in development. So it, it all feeds yes, on but itself. Jer- but Jeremy, it also, as a result of driving away the business that brings in development, a um, you know, a big-time developer or um, real estate firm or a BlackRock or something like that that has large connections to the World Economic Forum or to the Davos class and can get contracts from the federal government hmm. well it's good for them because now they get to buy everything back for pennies on the dollar yeah and then they get to um rebuild the city in their vision versus the vision of the people who um came here and created the culture yeah i mean i, I don't doubt that those things are happening that's i mean you look around you can kind of see it in front of us so the, I, and i think that that message has not been communicated very well to people yeah well the message that i'm bringing is really about what the da can do and a lot of it is just a inept response to the real problems. And I, I like to focus on the violent crimes because the examples that are coming out of that office are so stark, right? And I, I have a few in mind. Share. If you don't no, mind, no, yeah. I want you to share this. important. So um, I spoke to a lady named Lynn Isaac who lives in Travis Heights, and she was just out for a run like you can do. This is what Austin people do. Um, and she got attacked by a guy who apparently had been a predator on other women in the area. No one knew that at the time. So Lynn, who shattered her leg, gets on next door and kind of solves her own crime. She finds these other people who say, I know that guy. He, he attacked me as well. And all of that makes its way through law enforcement to the DA's office. And instead of having a real robust response to that, they decide they're going to put him on probation with no, no monitoring of any kind. And that, to me, is just such a disparate response to a very violent and dangerous situation. Um, and I can't. I don't know how you justify that. I don't know how we look at that and say, well, that's the kind of guy that when he's out and when he's not monitored makes the community safer. So, you know, Garza's platform is we're going to stand with survivors. We're going to address violent crime. But that's a very specific example where none of it happened. Yeah. Um, no, I actually confronted Garza about that at City Hall a few months ago. Hmm. I made a video that I saw him and, and he just pretted that he didn't know what I was talking about and about away that specific from me. case. Yes. Oh, crazy. Yeah. And then he said, well, if you want to have a serious conversation with me, come to my office and talk to me. And so I did. And filmed it. No, no follow through. I, I called. I sent an email. Nothing. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of consistent too. He uh, he talks about transparency, but there's no transparency at all. It's translucent and it's opaque. Um, and what we are seeing, I mean, the manipulation of statistics you mentioned earlier, we know that there was actually some local press follow-up on his domestic violence numbers. Do you remember hearing about that? No, I want you to share that, though, because okay. this is... 
So they did some, there was, he was claiming some sort of um, high conviction rate for specifically on domestic violence cases. And I think it might've been KXC and actually dove in on this and said, okay, we're going to look at it and see how he's calculating that number. And in the end, he had to withdraw the number from his campaign website and said something about how they're not lawyer or they're not statisticians, they're lawyers. And that was the justification for kind of reneging on that number. And it's just incredible that we're allowing that to, to get by when from a candidate who's supposed to be or a, a DA who's supposed to be open and honest about what's really happening at, behind the DA's office. Yeah. And, and what is scary is how many people are asleep at the wheel, even in Travis County, that don't even know that there's a race right now. I, yeah, that's so true. I, I can't stress that enough. Part of part of my challenge getting in so late was just making sure that, first of all, they knew there was a race. Second, they know who Jeremy Celestine is, because I was a nobody for years. Right. I, I just did my job. I, I made some press here and there because I tried high-profile cases, but I wasn't someone that you should know. I was just a husband, a dad. I lived in Austin for a long time, and I, I cared about my community. That's kind of what my thing is. Uh, had no intention, no political aspiration whatsoever, but getting into this thing made me realize how uninformed people can be. And all it is is really about making sure they know what's happening and then contrasting myself in a way that's credible. And I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to carry anybody's talking points. This is me expressing what I see as the problem. And people are resonating with that, that there are people who are picking up on it and supporting us and spreading the word. And it's that direct contact between people that makes the difference the most. I agree. And and look, I mean, how do you feel about the way police officers are are being treated in Austin? It's, uh, man, I, I don't like the political targeting of anybody, anybody. Um, whether it's a police officer or a citizen of color or anybody, the, the fact that you would come, if I said what he said about hiring people to prosecute Hispanics, what sort of backlash would there be in the community? Well, and that's, a, that's pretty much what he did. He said, listen, we're going to come in and we're going to specifically target police officers. And look at what we have now. We have 350 at least officer vacancies on APD alone. And that's not going to get better anytime soon because we can't hire enough officers to well, account I- for the attrition in the ranks. You know, Jeremy, I do think that having a new district attorney could help with that. I agree. So part of the problem is the tone at the top. And if people are confident that the DA is going to enforce the law without bias, without any sort of political predisposition, I think that makes it easier for people like officers to do their jobs. And don't get me wrong. I'm not a cop hugger. I have a lot of friends and uh, former colleagues who are police officers, but I'm not going to say... You're also a defense attorney, too. I am, yeah. I mean, listen, we have to hold them to account where we have to, but it's also the DA's job to do that in the right case and not to just come in and say, I promise you I'm going after these specific officers. And in the end, also, sorry, Alex, but in the end, he dismissed 17 of those 21 indictments anyway because he couldn't carry those cases to trial. And and if you overly prosecute somebody... Right, specifically police officers, it actually creates more cop huggers as a backlash. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, the response has I mean, that there is a reason that he is so disliked in those circles. But when it's just about the intellectual honesty of those cases, man, we knew in 2020 that there were defective beanbag rounds. That's what this is all about. That's why he says he dismissed those cases. We knew before he took office that that was the case and that the cases he was prosecuting had problems. So for him to use that now as a justification to dismiss those cases, it doesn't hold up. And I think it's dishonest and misleading. I agree with you. I I agree with that. I think that, though, a lot of Democrats, um, if you look at what their priorities are, public safety is unfortunately not as high of a priority list amongst Democrat voters. And Hardcore Democrats, they do vote in Democrat in Democrat primaries. Yep. As a result of 2020, I think that was a culmination point. A lot of people still look at the average police officer like 
like Derek Chauvin. Yeah. Right. And when you paint police officers at, in the same light as Derek Sh- as Chauvin, the average person, especially if they have these viewpoints, they're going to want less police officers. So I think yeah. there's got to be a way to hold police officers accountable for doing stuff like that. Like, look, I think Chauvin got the sentence he deserved. He Absolutely. shouldn't be let out of jail. Um, I even think the person Daniel Perry, who shot those people in the in, in the crowd, I actually think that 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 was an appropriate sentence because it was much different from Kyle Rittenhouse. I know some, one of my friends actually rec- was filming that. Yeah, different different topic entirely. We could talk about that a little later. But no, like, I, I've got a take on that too. I yeah, think, but sorry, yeah, I mean, okay. So, um, you know, that w- w- with that being said, though, like the average like Democrat voter that um is, you know, extremely disgusted and put off by um police officers as a result of Derek, you know, people like Derek Shaven and, and some of these other things that happen, you know, there's got to be a way to like, to, you know, hold police, obviously hold police officers accountable. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and obviously, you know, make it clear that stuff like that is not acceptable and, and obviously, you know, condemn racism and not, you know, uh, you know, and minimize and de- almost deter completely racially motivated attacks and whatnot. Right. That that's obvious. Right. You know, um, but there also has to be a way to like make the police officers, you know, highlight the good that, that the police officers are are, are doing in the community, um, to to kind of change the viewpoints of these police officers, and also highlight how like um, how abandoning and turning your back on low on law enforcement actually will um, hurt the working class, not just from a public safety standpoint, but from a standpoint of creating more authoritarianism, as you see in, in San Francisco, bolting up everything at the Walgreens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think your Sorry, point, that was a, yeah, no, no, no. But your point at the end is right on because the, when you have such a uh, depletion of the officers on the streets, where do we think that's going to have the biggest impact? It's going to be where, um, where people of, where they're needed the most. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's where low income communities are needed the most. That's exactly right. And that's exactly what we're seeing. The say what you will about the Austin Police Association. They definitely come through with an agenda. But, the, you know, they're tweeting lately about officers uh, having two officers on a shift when they should have six or eight. And that is a direct response to the the ranks being depleted. And all of that feeds in from how they feel the DA's office is going to perceive them and uh, and critique their, their work. Yes. And also, you know, if, if you're a um, police officer, right, how motivated are you going to be to even want to put yourself out there to arrest somebody when, when you know, he's going to be out of jail before you even finish the paperwork? Yeah. that's And that's happening. They are tracking those numbers at, a, at the police association. Not, I'm sorry, the police department and the sheriff's office. Those two agencies are tracking those numbers. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. And, and eventually you just hire people who don't really care, right? You hire super troopers to be your police officers that, you know, when you understand that that's what's going on, you're like, Oh, I'm going to just go hang out and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be hung over to go to work. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. You yeah. know, I'm still getting my government benefits. Like, you know, if, if I, if I, my hands are tied, I can't do anything. I'll get, sh- you know, I'll get charged with the crime. So I'm sorry, man. What do you want me to do? You know, yeah. like, so you ha- you don't want that to happen. And then you also don't want to re- replace local law enforcement with, you don't want the the state to supersede control over your local government, and then when you de- and, and when you derelict responsibility um, and, and abandon basic responsibilities like what's happening now, all you're doing is paving way for the state to take over what the city should be doing. You know, and and that's why you have so many state police officers that are patrolling Austin, and now everyone's complaining about black people getting pulled over at disproportionate race. Well, yeah. if our DA just did his job to the base, just 
and fulfilled the most basic function of what it meant to be a district attorney, this wouldn't even be a problem anyway. Yeah. Getting people to connect those dots is the challenge, though, because people people read about it, maybe. People see it on the news, maybe. But if you're if you're paying attention, it's not hard to see that those things are all connected and it, it relates back to each other for yeah. sure. It also paints a really bad you know, I, I also think that from a criminal for criminal justice reform, like obviously we want criminal justice reform, right? Yes. Like nobody wants the, nobody thinks the crime bill is a good idea, you know. Nobody wants to pull people over and, and over, unfairly prosecute somebody because of their race and their ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants that, right? Um, but when but a- after these last four years, after what you've seen in other cities you know, when you start it, like when you start equating um, criminal justice reform to letting out rapists and and sexual predators on probation, when those start being equated with each other, guess what? You are infinitely more likely to actually go back to um, the, the the criminal justice model of the 1980s and 90s. Well, and and it means you've lost the narrative, right? Yeah. Because you you it, have it kills to, criminal justice reform. You have to be able to hold those two thoughts in your head at the same time. We're going to make it better through reform, uh, mental health, addiction services. All of that has to be part of the the issue. Criminal. I'm sorry. Um, restorative justice. That's a huge piece of the puzzle that we have to build up. But you cannot just focus on those things because if you're not focusing over here as well, it fails. And that's part of the problem, right? So my one of my biggest critiques is that Garza seems to be afraid and thinks he knows better than what the community thinks. I agree. I know that it only works when the jury speak into it through their service, and that has not been what we've seen over the past three yeah, years. Yeah, and, and Jeremy, I saw a video where um, I think it was like – I forgot the name of the Instagram account, but there was this guy named David who um, he did 33 – he just got out of prison 33 years for murder, mm-hmm. right? He was 17 years old, carjacking, kidnapping, really bad, mm-hmm. really heinous shit, Right. But he was 17 years old, and he got out of jail. And there's a video of him trying on a ba- trying a bagel out for the first time, and being really happy that he tried a bagel, and and, and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. And like, the half the comments in this are people saying, "Man, fuck this guy. He deserves to go to jail for the rest of his life. He's a murderer and a kidnapper. No forgiveness, no nothing." And it's just real, just like, you know, it, just real, just anger and animosity over him being set free. Um, whereas, like, before the imp- the influx of these district attorneys, you wouldn't see that much of a prevalence in those comments. Like, that'd be a very fringe minority. Now it's becoming more popularized, and I feel as though the actions of guys like Garza are popularizing this ultra-right-wing mentality when it comes to uh, criminal justice, which creates a police state. No, you're right. I think that that's, that's a story where before we might have celebrated the redemption and reform that that guy had found. And I think he should be reformed. Right. Dude, I'm, listen, your brain is, when you're like 17 years old, your brain is not fully developed. And 33 years, like, and I think the sentence was appropriate, like a life sentence for what he did is appropriate. But when you get a life sentence at that young of an age, right, you do, um, there still are opportunities to reform in prison. And mm-hmm. there are, and you still have a long enough time to revisit the case. And, you know, after, I think 33 years is arguably enough time to, to say, okay, maybe this guy did reform and he wants to give back to his community. And, and this could actually deter more people from, following that path by him being out on the street than by him being in jail and telling his story yeah yeah so i think that i personally think that that's fine but like the fact that so many people are in utter disagreement of that it it's indicative of a failure on the um hyper progressive da's that we have right now yeah so when i when i talk about his his inability or lack of desire to get in front of juries what what i know from working there for 
10, 11 months that I did under him is that if you were going to recommend anything in punishment above 20, you had to get higher up approval, uh, which, you know, what I know from Travis County juries is that they're not going to go heavy most of the time on punishment. But that voice, what they think of a case matters the most, because if I don't know what that is as a prosecutor, I can't evaluate my other cases. That is the barometer against which I measure everything else that I do. And he doesn't want that to happen. He, he thinks that he has the smarts and the, the knowledge to make those decisions without community input, and it doesn't work that way. If we don't have juries, we don't have a functional criminal you know, justice system. Hey, yeah, and when you have a, a DA that politicizes everything, you might be more scared of going to jail for defending yourself than you, know, than you would be for committing a crime. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're seeing it play out in, in everyday cases. Um, there was an instance, actually, um, back in June. I think it was in June or May. Where um, and the APD they tweeted about it right, um, where a pedicab was used to help arrest two couple criminals. Are you serious? Yeah, I want to find this. Yeah, do you want me to go? Is I, I hate being on my phone. I feel like it's kind of rude to be on my phone. That's okay. But I'm, I'm gonna go on my phone um, just to try and find this out. Uh, you know, I, while you're doing okay. that, I wanted to just kind sure, of reference sure, another. Yeah. I found you made me think of another podcast that I listened to. It's called Death, Sex, and Money. What? Death, Sex, and Money. Okay. And it used to be WNYC. I think it's with Slate now. But they um, they took one of those stories of a convicted murderer and how they followed him through the prison system. And now he's yeah. out and he's an activist. But it's that kind of thing that that used to be celebrated that still can be. But again, we are creating that tension that doesn't allow us to even have that conversation anymore. And that's there, there's room there. I promise there is. It's right in the middle. Uh, and we've got to be comfortable living in that space instead of going to the extremes all the time. Yes, I agree. Uh, I'm trying to find this this post. But maybe it's on my Instagram. Let me let me see if I can find it on my Instagram. If I can't, I'll I'll just show it to you at some other time. Yeah, we'll do it. It was up. basically like it was basically um, I think it was in June or May of, of last year, right? You're jogging maybe, my memory. Maybe in July, right? Yeah. One of, one of, okay. Um, and there were these um, they were like teenagers. Mm-hmm. Okay? I think they were teenagers. Um, and there were these two two teenage there's a two teen two couples, right? Um, and the guys were hitting. We're like beating the shit of their girlfriends, right? Mm-hmm. On like fourth and and, and and Trinity. Right. Right? We kinda saw this happen. Um we saw we saw this happen. We confronted the the, the guys who who did this, right? Um not gonna like go into full detail because I don't want to like incriminate myself in any capacity. Uh, I'll bet you're gonna be okay, but go ahead. Well, um, Say what you're comfortable I, okay, with. Okay, sure. Well, one of the guys attacked, like, um, one of, one of the guys attacked, like, actually pushed and, like, hit, like, his, his girlfriend. Uh-huh. And I had customers in my cab, and I got up to try to confront him. And then the guy got aggressive with me and, like, you know, took a swing at me. And so I hit him, and he fell. He swung at you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And either way, he was hitting his girlfriend, and I told him to stop, and he came forward and aggressive. You got to, yeah. I, yeah, you were defending another person, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yes, but considering who our DA is, you never know. Uh, no, you're right. Um, you're right. So that happened. And then, um, like, his friend got up, and a friend had a knife on him, you know, and I didn't realize it. And, like, another pedicabber kind of pulled me pulled me back. Mm-hmm. And and uh, then I just had my customers, and I just drove off and gave my customers a ride. Yeah. Anyway, um, those guys hop into that other pedicab. They hop into the pedicab, and they draw, and uh, the guys are still beating up their girlfriends. Right. Okay. And um, there was an, we had another pedicabber who was following em- empty-handed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess one somebody called the police. Somebody called the police while this was happening, 
right? And there were police kind of in that area. Hmm. And so um, my friend stops in, I think, at, at, at not at Scoot Inn, but what, what's the other bar that just got closed right on, on 30, like on the east side of 35 and 4th Street? Easy Tiger? No, not Easy Tiger. Um, we'll probably think of it when we're done. We'll think about it when we're done, yeah. yeah. But it was, it was one of the bars right before Scoot Inn. He goes in there. Uh, pretend, tells him that he had like pretends that he was a drug dealer and tells him that he's like dropping off an eight ball of cocaine for the, the the door guy or something like that, you know. Um, and then he's trying to explain to the door guy what's happening. The door guy kind of like throws him out, but by then like the cops come with my other friend uh-huh. and they hop in my they they hop in the other pedicab, right? And then they um chase the two guys down as as they're running. That's crazy. Right? And so it turns out the guys had a tons of drugs in them. The guys also had one of the kids, the kid who I knocked out, had a gun on him. Yeah. Um, and they got arrested, right? And then that same guy who stopped me from getting stabbed was like shopping, right? And he saw those same kids just out the next day. Yeah, I I, I am one hundred percent not surprised by that. That's yeah. that's the state of things where if you pick up a felony charge, no matter no matter what, there's a good chance you're going to be out in no time. Yes, and it's it's really it's horrifying. Um, and I am trying to find this. We're pretty close to I, it. I thought. Okay, of, here. Uh, this is it. This was on um, June 16th. APD is in, in foot pursuit of two suspects heading southbound on Brush Street near 4th Street. Two additional suspects at gunpoint. Gotcha. Jumped in a pedicab. Offic- I'm sorry. Officer in foot pursuit has jumped in a pedicab and is in pursuit of the suspects. Amazing. That's like. Uh, threatened to stab pedicab driver. Yeah. And they just got out like the next day. This is what I heard. Man, I don't <laughs> it's it's a different world out there than it used to be. That's for sure. To be fair, a lot of violent stuff doesn't really you don't really have to worry about that stuff just yet. Right. But the things you have to worry about are theft and our shop owners right here. We see th- things c- come up missing. Right, yo Nate. Right? Aren't things coming up missing like on an everyday basis almost all the time at the shop? More often than they should, right? Yeah. More often yeah, right? And, and I mean, when you have a deal that doesn't want to prosecute people for stealing things or things that, that like it's not a big deal to just steal under nine hundred dollars worth of stuff, you're gonna see more of that. It destroys our community. Like, you know, a lot of us are struggling just to barely make it. A lot of us are, are doing this job to pay for school. A lot, of, yep. a lot of us are doing this job because they want to be musicians. We want to be artists. We have like athletic careers. We have like bigger dreams to 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 achieve. Some of us have families we're trying to raise. You know, imagine somebody's got an eight hundred dollar speaker on their cab that they need to help make a living and enhance the experience of their customer. Yeah. And someone just goes off and steals it with no consequences and it becomes normalized. Right. No, you think, oh, that's 800 bucks, big deal. But that's a big deal. $800 is no short sum of money. No, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Come on, man. And, and I think that, that that type of stuff has, you know, you, you can prosecute people and, and, and um, not allow stuff like that to happen while also, you know, not, um, not um, advocating for Derek Shaven or not supporting measures like the crime bill or not wanting the GOP to go back to the way it was in 2004. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of, you know what I mean? And I think that, that, that that's where we got to kind of like, we got to talk to people like they're human beings, right? Like, right. Well, and here's, here's the thing. The, the answer to that is that we are smart about it and we use common sense. It's kind of a simple solution. So how's your ground game with, with, with the campaign? Are you block walking? Or yeah. What are you doing? We're uh, block walking. Like where are y'all going? Yeah. Y'all... We have a staff. We have a campaign manager, comms team, field team, so we're knocking on doors, calling people, texting, a lot of social media. We're up on TV. Um, are, you I mean, the, are you going in the hood? Yeah, we're everywhere. You got to film this. We're going everywhere. Yeah. Are um, you filming? Like, I have a guy who, um, my my friend Hiram, he videotaped Garrett Foster. He, he's one that, 
inadvertently like that that film Gary Foster getting shot is really sad, but he was there. Yeah, you know, maybe reach out to him and see if he could um, film some of these interactions. Yeah, no, we've got we've got a team of people who are helping out with that and plenty of volunteers. So it's, it's but you got to put these interactions on social media every single day, man. I, I'm with you I'm because with you. you're up against an apparatus. Like you're up against the Statesman. Yep. You're up against the Chronicle. Yep. And you could even tell the Statesman's against you, but they don't have much of a like to stand on because they're not really praising Garza. They're just they're just like kind of. Um, lying through a mission, what he's done wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no there's no great one great organization who's doing a deep dive on any of the stuff. I'm I'm glad that there has been some picking at very specific issues, but it's not like a broad sweeping overview of how how he's failed. That's for sure. Yeah, but but and we have to make it more relatable to working class people as to why he's failed and why this affects you. And um, you know, you instead of like whining and screaming about crime like like Matt McCoyak or people like Mackenzie Kelly which doesn't win because mm-hmm. you sound like a Karen, mm-hmm. even though th- these are valid points, it just doesn't win. Right. You no, know? You've got to put it, you've got to put narrative behind you've it. You've got to put narrative behind them. Like, Hey, how do you, you know, how, do you, maybe we should replace our racist cops with non-binary anti-racist and gender neutral security cameras on every block. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what a solution. What a great salute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, maybe we just need to use AI. Maybe we need to invest more in regenerative robots and AI, uh, to help monitor and deter, deter crime. Me, you know, it's possible, right? Maybe we should bolt down the the doors, uh, bolt down the doors, and bolt on the shopping aisles of H E B and every other area. Um, and you have to use a QR code attached to your phone or on your person to be able to open the door. Are you are you prophesying or are you are you uh, crit- critiquing? I think you I'm might just, be prophesying. But but I could see these being that's the, what I'm the, saying. The generated solute like the I establishment agree. generated solutions to what what's happening. And I think that a lot of people just don't understand this, or they think that like you sound like Alex Jones when you talk about this. But I. I like they they've been doing things like this in New York and in San Francisco. Hey, I'm I'm getting scolded by the party platform for saying those things, for saying that we don't have to have it this way. Somehow that becomes a Republican talking point when really it's just common sense and a real take. Like this is a concerned citizen saying these things out loud and all of a sudden I'm carrying Republican water. That's not the case. This is a nonpartisan just be smart about crime issue. It is a nonpartisan a thousand percent. Um Couple more questions before we go, but yeah. um, how do you feel the turnout was yesterday? Uh, I looked at the numbers. It looked like it was about four thousand early votes on the Democratic side and two thousand or so Republican. Okay, um, I think that's low, and I think we kind of predicted a low turnout because there's not a whole lot of excitement on either side at the top of the ticket. But do you think a low turnout helps you or hurts you? I think probably helps. Um, I don't know. know. That, I think people are going to pay attention. Like the people who do come out are going to be paying attention to the race. And if anybody is being truly smart about it and reading up on it, uh, we're out there. Like we've made our, our positions available. We're across all formats. So it's not like we're not saying the things that we believe in and what we're about, but getting people to listen, like coming, coming on this podcast, you weren't on my radar until you reached out. And when, when those opportunities come up, I'm taking them because I want everybody to hear this. No, and it's important, and, and there, you should be you should be going on a media blitz these next couple weeks. That's uh, hey, I'm going from place to place. Musk, we'll, you got I mean, even Musk chimed in. Yeah, I saw that. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Even Elon, even Elon chimed in. I never expected that. Yeah, well, it's good. He yeah. should. I think that if you're going to complain about what's going on with the crime in X Y Z and what these cities are turning into, um, you should at the very least take interest and um, advocate for change in these DA's offices. It, but, but you know what else is important about that is that's a local interest, right? So I can get critiqued for who is giving me money, but all of my support is local. 
there's, there's yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what about Garza support? Have you done a, a dive into Garza's finances? It, it's not 98% Texan and Travis County like mine is. I know that. Yours is 98%. Okay. I think that he had 20% out of state money in his last race. I don't know what it is now. I thought he probably had more. It could be more. I know that uh, the the George Soros and the Open Society Foundation gave him nine hundred thousand dollars last cycle. Yeah, they're not calling me. I'll tell you that much. No, and and look, man. You criticize George Soros. People say all types of bad things, and you're all of a sudden now holding Republican water. But you know, a mega, you know, it's the same thing as getting a million dollars from Peter Thiel, right? Right. Or if Elon Musk gave you a million dollars, that that would get disclosed just as much. Yeah, but if if somebody, if, if you want to go do the homework and dig through my disclosure statements, what you're going to find are people who live here and are invested here. That's what you're going to see, and that to me crosses party lines. Do you think Margaret Groban's kind of like? How do you feel about Margaret Groban with, with with how she handled some of those those rape cases? Margaret Gomez or Margaret Moore? Sorry, Margaret Moore. Margaret Moore, yeah. 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 Um, That's what I okay. No, so here's what I think. Because um, I feel as though, I don't know as much about it as a lot of other people, but I feel as though the way she hand, the way it was handled is why Gars is in office. Yeah, he definitely capitalized on a moment. And, um, you know, to, to be honest with you, we're kind of flipping that playbook on him by going to some of these same groups of victims and specific victims in, in my campaign's case to say this is how he's failed in that regard. So... I, I think it's it's easy to try to pick up that that vote that voting group uh, and the people who are interested in that. But if you're really looking at it in detail and saying what what is this guy going to do or what has he done, he's not backing it up. So the same people who were behind him before, I think, are not going to be there this time. Okay, because they know better. Because mishandling rape kits and stuff like that is a bad look, and that's not good. Right. It's a problem. I've got I've got a defense case now that happened in 1993. They didn't test the kit until 2017. That's a problem. That's a Absolutely, huge, yeah, huge problem. Yeah, but that's 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 less the DA. That's more APD. But th- again, those two things you have to talk to each other, and the credibility to prosecute those cases with experience, it, you've got to look at that too. So I bring 15 years yeah. of it. He's, I don't know that uh, he's I'll, he's never tried a case yeah. in Travis County. Uh, he he's been the DA for four years. He's never tried a case. Well, DAs rarely try cases, but he's um, he just never had that experience before that. He's a bureaucrat and a politician. Yeah, I I actually agree with that. Um. Last question before we go. Yeah. If you don't win the primary, are you going to back Garza in the general? Uh, I'm a I'm a good Democrat, man. I've I always have been. I know. Um, maybe maybe it's unpopular to to say that, but my with everything that's being with everything I know. That's, Here's the thing, man. I I have always been a voting Democrat. Sure. And I believe that it's the party with the best ideas, and it it resonates more with my conscience. So, uh, the truth is, yeah, probably so. Well, I appreciate your honesty. Yeah, I'll offer a counterpoint, and I think being a good Democrat means also supporting good Democrats and not rewarding bad Democrats for ruining your party. And I think that people like Jose Garza are bad Democrats that are ruining what it means to actually belong to this party. Let me. I'll say this about Betts. Daniel Betts is the the Republican contender. Um, he comes at it from. I think he's been he's been trying to. They're trying to paint him as MAGA. I don't think Daniel Betts is MAGA. I think Daniel Betts is a, a concerned citizen as well. So, you know, the the need to put these labels on people is really diminutive. And I think that it doesn't create intelligent conversation. So that's what I'd say about the Garza campaign. Okay. I That's a, that's a fair answer. That's a, that's a fair answer. Yeah. All right. Jeremy, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, JeremyCelestine.com. That's Jeremy. Celestine is S-Y-L-E-S-T-I-N-E.com or Jeremy4DA, F-O-R-D-A.com. Okay, Jeremy, so so great to meet you. Yeah, hey, man. wait, what's your Twitter? What's your Instagram? All your social it, media? That's all also your... all Jeremy4DA, the number four. Jeremy4DA. Twitter and Instagram, right? All of them, yeah. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Good luck, man. Thanks. All right. Appreciate it.